John chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Did y'all catch that? I just, the accent around here is catching up with me. I said, Martha. Oh, I'm all things to all men, right? Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then uh, after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. We began with a a sermon, a message that kind of took a bird's eye view of this. We talked about navigating our times, our trials, our touches, and our tombs, because we're all going to face that in life, even Christians. We're going to we're going to have uh, we're going to encounter times of misunderstanding and trials of misery and touches of melancholy and even tombs of mourning. But we learned that there were some truths that we can hold on to if we're going to navigate these things. The first one is this: Jesus loves you more than you know. Jesus loves you more than you know, and if you hold on to that truth, it'll help you navigate these difficult times. Second one is this, what happens to you isn't always about you. Now that one kind of offends our pride a little bit, offends our ego a little bit, but the fact is God could be something, doing something in your life that's meant to do something in somebody else's life. Now I'm not saying you won't benefit from that and that he won't teach you something, but there's been things that have happened that when you look back on it, you can see, well, it didn't change a whole lot for that person, but I'll tell you, there's a whole bunch of people over here that got touched by it, you know. Here's the third truth, the darker the problem, the brighter the solution. Sometimes God lets things get as bad as they can possibly be to show how much God he is. And that's what happened with Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead four days. Four days, both in the Jewish thinking and in the process there in the Middle East, four days represented the absolute worst state that a dead body could be in. And Jesus said, okay, now let's fix this. Everybody, when they opened that tomb, everybody knew that man in there was dead. No question. And Jesus said, now, this problem's darker than anybody can do anything about. Here's the solution. And sometimes he'll let that happen in our lives. Things just seem to be getting worse, and we're, oh, preacher, things are getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm not minimizing the feelings behind that. I get it. It's hard. But sometimes God lets things get worse and worse and worse that it might be that much more evident that this miracle was God's doing and not anything man could do. Okay? So then we look at the faith of Martha. We found that these three characters, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, represent three aspects of victorious Christian living. And in Martha, we saw a great deal of faith. And what we saw, first of all, she had an irritated faith. Yesterday, I didn't even have an irritated faith. I was irritated without any faith at all. I had an irritated faith. Have you ever not understood what God was doing and your faith, though it was still present, was a bit irritated? Martha's was. It was also inaccurate. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's not necessarily so. 
Sometimes we have these ideas and viewpoints that we think are just right on the money truth, and we find out later, man, I wasn't right about that at all. An inaccurate faith. But, but then she got an informed faith. She understood her Bible. She understood what the Bible taught about Jesus and what he could do and what he would do. And that informed faith gave way to incredible faith. We see faith. Would you agree with me that faith is necessary for the life of a Christian? Is faith is necessary to be saved. It's necessary to live as a saved person. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we saw the faith of Martha. Then last time we saw the worship of Mary. Just as faith is part of the Christian experience, we need to be people that worship. <coughs> and we saw in Martha that her worship was, I'm sorry, Mary rather, that her worship was attentive. Her worship was attentive. She listened. She paid attention. It was a basing. It was a humbling worship. Real worship doesn't make us feel good and proud about ourselves. It, it, it puts us low. It, it was an authentic faith. It was an authentic faith, and it was an appropriate faith built upon the Word of God. A worship that isn't, that isn't congruent with the Word of God isn't worship. It could be a lot of things, but it's not worship. Worship never contradicts the Word of God. Worship never tells you to do something other than what the Word of God would have you do. See. Okay. All right. I'm trying a new backup mic. I thought we were good. We'll see. Okay. All right, so now we come to Lazarus. This is a little bit tougher for me. We've only got two passages in the entire Bible that mention him. And it doesn't give us anecdotally a whole lot to go on. How many Lazaruses are there in the Bible? It's a trick question. It depends if you know what the other name for Lazarus is. You know what the Old Testament name for Lazarus is? Eliezer. There's a few of those. But in the New Testament, there's only two. The one who's a part of Jesus' story about the rich man and Lazarus, which, by the way, I do not believe is a parable. I believe it's a story. I believe it's an account of something that actually happened. Jesus never mentioned names in his parables. This man had a proper name, Lazarus. Not the same guy. And let's be honest, when you hear the name Lazarus, who's the first person you think of? You think of Lazarus in the tomb four days, Lazarus, okay? Um, and so we looked, we looked at Lazarus, and there's just not a whole lot that we can glean from. There's a little bit we can glean from what Scripture tells us, but I'll tell you, I also found some help in gleaning from what Scripture doesn't say. When you read your Bibles, make, make a point to look at what the Bible does say, but then make a point to look at what it doesn't say. Sometimes God leaves things out, and that can be as informative as what he puts in there. Now, be careful. Don't form doctrines off of silent opinions. But, but sometimes when God leaves something out, that's interesting. So we're going to try a little bit of both. What we do know is that at this point in the narrative, everybody's eyes were on Lazarus. Everybody. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days, Jesus, then six days. Wow. I, I am literate, but just barely. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. By the way, we find out in another passage, they're in the home of somebody named Simon. 
Okay, this, is, this isn't Lazarus' home. They're in the home of somebody named Simon, but Martha, true to her character, is serving there too. Okay, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Verse 9, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. That's, that's normal. That, that's, that's an expected reaction, don't you think? If, if I were to drop dead behind this pulpit this morning, and they had the funeral, and they buried me, and two weeks later I show up for another service, word's going to get around on that, isn't it? I suspect we'll have a bigger crowd. I heard a preacher that was dead. Now, there's a lot of dead preachers out there. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I hope you don't count me as one of them. That, that would draw a crowd. Well, there's a whole lot of people. Yeah, they're interested in Jesus, but I want to go see that dude that got brought back from the dead. All eyes were on him. Now, let's make an application. You ready? Whether you realize it or not, Christian, all eyes are on you too. I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on this. But yet another election has come and gone. It's not gone yet. It's still going, which is part of the problem. Can I tell you, the world's watching us to see how we're going to respond. because. Now, now, we can have private conversations about what we think needs to change and that kind of thing, but the world's watching to see whether or not we panic. Mm-hmm. And Christians didn't get their Republicans in power, did they? Mm-hmm. Listen, my, fa- my faith isn't found on the Republican Party. I got news for you. There's been times Republicans have been in power, and they didn't do anything. In fact, they made things worse. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote and that you shouldn't have, um, you know, convictions based upon the word of God. But if we run around, if we run around just just pitching a royal fit and acting the fool and acting like there's not a God in heaven who's in control of everything, the world notices that. It's fine for you to be internally irritated about things, and it's fine for you to take good, solid character-laden measures to try and make things better. But if we're running around and we're losing it over this thing, the world's going to notice because they're watching. All due respect to former President Trump, my faith didn't have a thing in the world to do with whether or not he gets back in the Oval Office. Didn't have a thing in the world to do with who's the governor or, or who's the senators or who's the congressman. Paul had a pretty good testimony in the middle of Nero's reign. Either God's God or he's not. Y'all quiet this morning. Y'all going to make me get more animated. And I'm going to start beeping. The fact is, what you display before this lost and dying world, and would you remember that, that this world in which we live, apart from Jesus Christ, is lost and it's dying. Those actors on your favorite show are probably lost, and if so, they're dying. That musician that you love so much very well could be lost, and if so, is dying. That neighbor that doesn't live for God and has never heard anything about the gospel, they're lost, and they're dying. We are living in the midst of a dying world, and they are watching us. 
and how we live and how we conduct ourselves and how we comport ourselves is what is called our testimony. And our faith and our worship cannot be separated from our testimony. If your testimony stinks, then the way you worship is of no, no, no matter. And your faith is not going to have an impact on anybody else if you got a sorry, no good testimony. Hmm? What the world sees on the outside is the only metric that it has to gauge the level of your faith and worship. Well, I got you there, preacher. My Bible says in 1 Samuel that God looks on the heart. He sure does. But man looks on the outward appearance. Man can't see your heart. The only thing man has to go on is what's going on on the outside. And if on the outside you're projecting just godlessness, wickedness, and frustration, everything else, they can't see your heart. Uh Uh-uh. All they see is the outside. So does the outside matter? It does. And it's not legalism to say so. God is my judge. Yeah. And that, that should scare you. I mean, I've seen people. You can preach about sin all you want to. God's my judge. Okay, go ahead with that. See how that works out for you. Because God knows things about you that even I don't. One of the most comforting verses in the Bible is also one of the most scary verses in the Bible. Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. God knows how unworthy I am to stand up here and do what I do, and he knows how unworthy you are to sit and listen to it. Can we all disagree we're unworthy apart from Christ? I'm getting cranked up now. Can I tell you something, friend? You can't live like the world on the outside and be like the Savior on the inside. James 3, verse 8, specifically talking about the tongue. But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine fig? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh I know of a believer that rolls into church. Most godly person you ever hope to meet, but get them in traffic. Y'all pray for my wife. She's working on it. (laughs) We're talking about testimony. And so what we're going to do with the Lord will help us We talked about the faith of Martha and the worship of Mary. We're going to look on what we can of the outside of Lazarus, and that will reveal what was on the inside of Lazarus, the testimony of Lazarus. Have I prayed already? I can't remember. I was going to pray again either way. I don't reckon God hold against me to pray twice, do you? I probably should every time. So, Father, this is your message. Please don't let me get in the way of it. 
apply your word in whatever way we see, you see fit, Lord. If somebody needs to be saved, I pray they'd be saved today. And I pray that Christians would take great care to evaluate their testimony. And may Jesus be lifted up in it. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I got seven minutes. All right. The testimony of Lazarus. I want you to notice, first of all, his testimony was one of security. It was a testimony of security. Verse number one, chapter 11, verse one. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It was clear that Jesus loved Lazarus and his family. In fact, we found out in a, last, in, in a previous message, he loved them more than they knew they, he loved them. But it's also clear that they knew that Jesus loved them. And you say, well, how can you say that? Because I, I've read through the Bible, and I can never find an instance in which Jesus hides his love. If he loves you, he's intent on you knowing it. He goes to great lengths to make sure that we're aware how much he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How about this one? But God commendeth his love toward us. He demonstrated it. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is God trying to hide the fact that he loves us? Absolutely not. He wants us to know it. And it stands to reason that Jesus would want Mary and Martha and Lazarus to know that he loved them. So Lazarus, we can stand on good ground believing Lazarus knew that Jesus loved him. Now, when we entertain the thought that Jesus may not love us, and we've been there from time to time, feel like God doesn't love me, we do so all evidence to the contrary. We have to, we have to completely ignore all the evidence that God gives us that he actually does. John put it this way, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Who initiated all this? God did. We didn't look for him. He looked for us. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When you read what we have about Lazarus, you, you kind of you develop what you think is his demeanor. It seems to indicate that Lazarus was a man that had a peaceful demeanor. Where does that peace come from? Being secure in the truth that Jesus loved him. Hey, friend, you know, it used to be enough for us to know that Jesus loved us. What is in all likelihood the first spiritual, religious song that you learned as a kid? Jesus loves me. This I know. By the way, it also works if you switch those around. Jesus knows me. This I love. <laughs> Jesus loves me. This I know. 
For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. A close cousin to that is Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, pink and green. Even loves them if they're mean. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's one of the first things we learned, if not the first, that Jesus loves us. When did that stop being enough? Well, Andy, what are you talking about? Where, where are you going with this? Well, now we don't feel secure unless we've got a certain amount of money in the bank. We don't feel secure unless we've got a certain amount of square footage or a certain amount of acreage. We don't feel secure unless our 401K is doing a certain level. We don't feel secure unless we got the job title that we want. We don't feel secure unless, you know, we're under 100,000 miles on our vehicle. Otherwise, it's time to get another one. Is it not enough? Should I not feel complete and total security? Should I not be at peace in just knowing that the God creator of all the universe, the sovereign savior of the world, loves me? Should that not be enough? A lady by the name of Eliza Hewitt, wrote about that my faith is found a resting place not in device nor creed i trust the ever-living one his wounds for me shall plead enough for me that jesus saves this ends my fear and doubt a sinful soul i come to him He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is what? Enough. That Jesus died. And that he died for me. At the end of the day, y'all, it's nice to have the money and the acreage and the square footage and the new car, but we don't need any of it. It's enough. We're secure in that Jesus loves us. You want to have some peace? Just get a hold of that truth. Jesus loves me. Not this I hope, not this I guess, this I know. Have you, can you tell when somebody has a testimony that's got some security to it? Can you tell when a Christian just knows that Jesus loves them and takes, takes full advantage of that truth? He had a testimony that was one of security. Number two, his testimony was one of humility. Verse 11, these things said he, well, never mind, I'll come back to that. I'm going to read it later. You wait for me there? Now, when you're working on a message about a person in the Bible, you do your best to get all of the stuff together, all the places that the Bible mentions this guy. As I mentioned before, Lazarus is only mentioned twice, and in all the Gospels, he never utters a word. That doesn't mean he was mute. He could have been, but that doesn't mean he was mute. We just we don't have any record of anything he said. Do I go there, Aaron? That's what happens when you have two sisters. <laughs> I should have left that alone. No, we've we've already covered that. Mary and Martha are not a contrast. And one was spiritual and the other. They were both godly spiritual ladies. Remember that. Remember that. But Lazarus, it just appears 
Lazarus was kind of reserved. Lazarus was content to stay in the background. It's indicative of a quiet spirit. I wish I had a quiet spirit. I don't. Some of you do. A quiet spirit. One way that we could define humility is the understanding of our role in light of who Christ is. When we understand who we are and what's expected of us in light of who Christ is, you can't help but be humble, right? Humble's not walking around. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Jesus sure has been good to me because I'm just a worthless piece of garbage. I'm just the spiritual equivalent of gum on the Lord's shoe. That's not humility. That's silliness. Can I remind you, value is what somebody's willing to pay for something, and that makes all of us pretty valuable. Humility is recognizing your role in light of who he is. That's humility. So what was, what was Lazarus' role? Now, you, at first glance, it's hard to see one. It, it looks as though Lazarus' role, here was Lazarus' job. You ready? Die. Lazarus, here's your job. Die. That's all you got to do. Just die, and God will come fix it. But he actually had a role. Look at what it is. Verse 11. These things said Jesus, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend, Lazarus, sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. What was Lazarus' role? To be Jesus' friend? That was his role. Did Jesus recognize him as such? Yeah. Our friend. He was content to just be a friend to Jesus. Now, what do we Christians do? We Christians try to enlarge ourselves, don't we? Preachers are bad about this. How do I get more notoriety? How how, how do I get more people hearing about me? Now, we're working on starting a podcast. So let me give you this caveat here. We believe it's a good opportunity to get some good truth out to people that need to hear it. But there's a lot of preachers out there. The only reason they started a podcast is because that's the next step on the ladder. And if you want to be somebody, you got to get a podcast. And, and, and then you got to hang around. you got to hang around with a certain group, and then they'll invite you to preach at their place, and you invite them to preach at their place. And, and then when you all have these meetings, you'll go preach there. And before long, you know, everybody's you know, laying their coats down at your feet. Is that, does any of that sound scriptural? No. But we Christians, we tend to do that, don't we? We want to enlarge ourselves. We want to make sure that people know how godly we are. And people know how much we do for the Lord. Well, I'm not against making sure that we say thank you and that we, we uh, appreciate when people do things for us and for the Lord. Of course, we should do that. But at the end of the day, we should all be content to just be a friend to Jesus. That's it. I don't think that it could be done truthfully. Not to the level that I'd want it to be. But if I were to pass away and there was room to inscribe something on my tombstone, wouldn't it be nice to be able to say he was Jesus' friend? Well, I need to be a better friend. 
Because what, what do true friends do? They love each other. They care about each other, don't they? Real friends. I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm talking about real friends. They communicate. They visit with one another. They prefer one another. A real friend doesn't want to hold you back. He wants to see you move forward, even if it's to your expense. Real friends. They're sensitive to each other's feelings. Real friends don't go out of their way to offend each other. Well, how, how does that work with Jesus? Well, do you love him? Do you care about him? Do you communicate with him? Do you visit with him? Do you prefer what he wants over what you want? Are you sensitive to what he feels about things? Because if I'm a friend to him, that's, all of that should be in place. How many of us know that pride has destroyed many, many friendships? A real friendship has to live in humility. Are we striving in humility to just be a friend to Jesus? You see, Lazarus had a testimony that was one of security and one of humility. Here's the last one. It was one of identity. So little is said about Lazarus directly or indirectly. And if we're not careful, and maybe I've, I've come up to this line a little bit today, if we're not careful, sometimes we can, we can overstep good exegesis and find things that aren't there and arguments from silence and things. I think we're still safe here. But maybe what would be the best thing for us to do is you just step back, and take the life of Lazarus and everything we know about it and condense it into one unchallengeable truth. Here it is. You ready? When we think of Lazarus, here's what we know. Lazarus was dead. Then Jesus made him alive. That's what we know. Lazarus was dead. Then Jesus made him Alive. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Forever. From that point on, everybody who heard the name of Lazarus, his name would be tied with Jesus' name for the rest of his life. And even now, nearly 2,000 years later, when we hear Lazarus, can you separate Lazarus from Jesus? No, because Lazarus was dead. And Jesus made him alive. And now, from that point on, Lazarus identified with Jesus forever. Could that not be said of any Christian? Aaron Davies, good man. There was a time that Aaron Davies was dead. And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
hath he quickened, made alive. Aaron Davies was dead until Jesus made him alive. Hard as it may be to believe, there was a time that this angelic creature here was dead in her trespasses and sins until Jesus made her alive. Everybody in here who's saved, everybody in here who names the name of Christ, there was a time that you were dead until Jesus made you alive. Remember, it's been said over and over again, and I agree with it. Jesus did not come to make bad men good or good men better. He came to make dead men alive. We were dead, and Jesus made us alive. Is that not the encapsulation of all of our Christianity? I was dead, but he made me alive. So in view of that, just like Lazarus, should not our name be forever tied to that of Christ? Is it reasonable that he expects for the rest of our lives when people hear Aaron Davies? They tie him into Jesus. When people hear Crystal Davis, they tie her into Jesus. Is that reasonable? Then why is it that so many Christians who were dead and Jesus made them alive find every way possible to identify with the world than they do with the one who brought them from death unto life? He is our identity. Lazarus was so identified with Jesus that when the Jews sought to kill Jesus, they thought, let's go ahead and kill Lazarus too. Chapter 12, verse 10. Why? Because Lazarus so closely identified with Jesus, his testimony was so strong, they were both thought to be a threat. How closely are you identified with Jesus? I mentioned this gentleman earlier. There were a group of men who hate Jesus. And they made a hellish decision. that If we're going to eradicate Jesus in this region, we're going to have to take that guy out too. If the powers that be were going to eradicate Jesus from Wythe County, would they need to take you out too? Or would they say, yeah, they're all right. They're not a threat. They don't identify with him. Because our testimony should be a matter of identity. So what? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to know something. You're not in a bad way. You're in a dead way. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. I'm not trying to be glib about it. I'm not trying to be unkind or uncaring. I'm telling you the truth. If you went to a doctor, you would want the doctor to tell you the truth about where you stand. Well, Dr. Andy is in the office. 
And Dr. Law tells you that you've come short of God's glory. But is Lester Roloff so beautifully preached? Aren't you glad for Dr. Grace? Dr. Law could only diagnose. Dr. Grace was the one who had to cure. Jesus came and took your sins upon himself and paid the price. He satisfied God's wrath. He absorbed God's indignation on our, our behalf. And now God can freely welcome anybody into heaven who wants to come if they'll come through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you've never been saved, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and your eternal destination is hell. Unless you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. If you've never done so, today needs to be the day. Stop playing around. Stop giving excuses. There is no price that's, that's worthy of your soul. Come to Jesus before it's too late. Christian, what is the condition of your testimony? We've, we've asked about your faith, and, and we've, we've asked about your worship. I'm asking you, what's the condition of your testimony? When you walk out of these doors and into this world, what is your testimony? Does it demonstrate that you have the great security of just knowing that Jesus loves you? Does it project humility and just being content to be Jesus' friend? Does it claim identity with Jesus? Are you known to be acquainted with him? Or are you known to be willing to die with him? Because that's what we learn from the faith of Martha, the worship of Mary, and the testimony of Lazarus.